G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday and as we intend to do through the year in 2019, getting an update each week on the political agenda that's facing Australians. Martin Isles, back with us today, fresh from his own break. He's the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles, a special welcome back to 2020 to you. Thanks very much, Neil. It's good to be back with you in a new year. Happy New Year. And uh, Happy New Year to you. And I know you've just had a break and I think you're uh, sort of fresh back into the saddle today, aren't you? Because uh, uh, things are starting to heat up in Canberra. That is right. We couldn't extend the break too long because we've got so much to do and there's an election on the horizon. But yep, I'm I'm fully refreshed. So uh, ready to go. Let's start with some of the issues that have been floating around and perhaps get your perspectives on some of those and what they mean. One of the big ones that happened over the weekend, the Minister for Jobs and Women, Kelly O'Dwyer, she made a a shock announcement uh, that she's deciding to quit politics, Uh, says she wants to spend more time with her young family, give herself the best chance of being able to have a third child. Uh, What were your perspectives on uh, yet another resignation in the Liberal Party? Well, I was a little surprised that it was Kelly O'Dwyer because she is uh, one of these uh, people who's put up as, you know, a woman who is doing everything. She's having a family. She's running as a minister. She's one of the leading lights amongst the women in the Liberal Party. So I was a little surprised it was her. But I'm, I'm certainly not surprised that people are resigning for this reason. I think people who have been following politics for a little while will have seen, look, there's a number of politicians that have resigned and cited family reasons. Um, and sort of being in my role up close and personal with a lot of these people, um, the sad reality is that politics is almost completely incompatible with family life. Um, and so when I see somebody like Kelly O'Dwyer or others who have gone before her uh, hang up their hat and say, look, it's actually too much. Um, I have to pick my priority, and my priority is family. Um, I say look good on her. Uh, and I think especially as Christians, we have to say look, there's a lot of people who make that realisation in politics, and I've seen quite a few of them, they make that realisation too late when they're full of regret, uh, when they've missed uh, so much of the lives of their children and their families, um, and it, it causes a lot of pain. And so for her to say that at this stage, when she's got young children, and say, look, I've, I've realised that my family's more important, it's a good thing. Um, and I would, I would never begrudge that from anyone. I think it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing that, that, that you can't do both, uh, but if, in the absence of being able to do both, look, it's incompatible with family for so many. Uh, and if it is, look, we're called to be mothers and fathers. We're called to uh, raise up the next generation well. Uh, and I think that everybody knows that a good family life is just so, so crucial, particularly in this day and age. Uh, so that's the way it is. It draws attention, doesn't it, to the stresses on all parliamentarians. But there are some special stresses on women in parliament. And uh, just to note that Kelly O'Dwyer revealed in News Corp newspapers that she'd actually suffered a miscarriage while in Parliament and away from her family. And so there's extra pressures, extra stresses, uh, extra uh, real uh, stress on motherhood when it comes to being a parliamentarian. And uh, 
I wonder whether it comes down to whether you can make some sort of assessment as to whether it's some sort of a calling that you need to have, knowing that there are going to be stresses that you'll go through and some sort of uh, levels of, uh, you know, things that need to be put on hold while you're actually serving the nation. What are your thoughts on the idea of even a calling to be a parliamentarian, Martin? Uh, I, would, I would completely agree, Neil. And I often say to people, we, we deal with a lot of young people going through OMI programs and things like that. And I always say to people, you know, understand whether you're called to politics. It's really important um, because Romans 13 is very clear. It calls politicians ministers of God and servants of God when they do their duty well before God. And you know, who else is going to be a minister and a servant of God than a Christian? And surely that important duty, that important responsibility before God is something that God bestows on people. And I think you see throughout the Bible, kings, you know, they're people that God raises up and appoints and bestows authority on. They use it for good or ill, but, you know, it is a calling. Um, and I agree, and I think that God gives you the grace to do it. Um, I even think that of my current job. I think, well, God will give me the grace to do this job because it's very much like a political job. I believe firmly that if I was to have a family, uh, I wouldn't be able to do this job. But I'm in a situation where I don't have a family. I know that I've been put here for a reason. So fine, we carry on and, and it gets done. I think you need to have that confidence. Um, and you raise the issue. Of, I think one of the things swirling around here is the gender issue and whether there should be quotas for women, etc. I'm one of these people who's quite laid back about that. I say, look, I, I would be surprised if there are more men than women in politics simply because uh, there's more stresses on women, as we've just described, in the political world. And I don't have a problem with that because I, I, I'm not in that identity politics category that says, well, in order to serve women, you need to be a woman. Or, you know, Jesus didn't need to be a woman to save women. Um, you know, what we need to know to be in politics is have a clear understanding of what is right and wrong and a clear sense of duty to our fellow man uh, and woman and, and others in the community and be able to serve them well. And I think that God gives you the grace and the strength to do that regardless of your identity. So we've got to be careful not to fall into the identity politics. Uh, when we think about this as well. I think it's something that all people can be called to, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few more men in the parliament just because that's the nature of things. Well, an election is on the way, and there is this saying, isn't there, in Parliament, the idea of clearing the decks before another election, and oftentimes it's issues uh, that get fixed in this time, and it's people who hang up the gloves. They announce their resignation from politics at this time. Uh, Kelly O'Dwyer, perhaps she's not the last one. What are your thoughts on uh, on the, the potential for more people uh, actually deciding to resign before the next election? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. So she resigned very shortly after Senator David Bushby, Liberal Senator from Tasmania. Um, and I just think that in moments like this, when the government sits back and you've got a lot of sitting members going, hey, I think I might be toast at the next election because the swing is on. Uh, you do end up getting a lot of people, you know, jumping ship, as they say. I think that the government will try and control that because it's a bad look, but ultimately you can't stop people seeing the writing on the wall and making arrangements for their career future. So I think that there will be more people resigning for sure because May is going to be pretty tough for the government on all predictions so far. Okay, now there's two elections coming really in fairly quick succession. We'll have the New South Wales election on the 23rd of March and then a federal election likely in May, although I know that there is some possibility it could come earlier, but uh, the likelihood is in May. Uh, one of the major issues, and this might be one of those issues there might be some endeavour to clear the decks on, is this idea of 
having the debate about freedoms, talking about religious freedom and the big challenges that got postponed from late last year uh, to what will be the February sittings of Parliament. What are your thoughts, Martin Isles, on this huge battle that's been postponed from late last year? It's really, it's about to hit us in a big way, isn't it, next month? Well, it is, and this is the uh, this is what was uh, termed then as the school freedoms battle. And you have uh, the Labor Party had put forward a bill in the Senate, which the the effect of which was very serious. Uh, it was talked about as school freedom, but actually the bill would affect the freedom of every religious institution. So it was a bill that said that if you're a religious institution uh, and you engage in educational activity, you cannot say anything, teach anything, or omit to say or teach anything. Uh, that could be seen as discriminatory. So you can imagine a Christian school says, well, okay, so if we don't teach safe schools, is that detrimental and discriminatory against gay children? Or if we teach biblical Christian sexual ethics, is that going to be... And so on. It's not just schools, it's all religious institutions. So, uh, you know, everyone can see straight away that's a huge problem uh, for churches, for religious bodies going forward. And actually the fact that the ALP even proposed that bill and then stood by it and argued for it when the issues with the bill were exposed is deeply concerning. We're all very, very concerned about that, and we just start to wonder, well, where are they going on these issues? Because that is an attack on religious freedom, the like of which I don't think we've seen in this country at a legislative level. Uh, and they did stick to their guns all the way through, but the government held firm and refused to support it. And it was a very, very difficult time and the debate could have gone either way, but ultimately the government prevailed. But that's going to come back on the agenda in February when the parliament sits again. That really is the big issue, and it feeds into what is the big issue for the May election for us as Christians, which is will there be uh, a good religious freedom policy in the new government after May? If Labor win, there's, there's serious concerns, and we're going to have to start thinking about how we campaign and campaign well for religious freedom so that the voice of the Christian constituency is raised. Uh, and that these freedoms are not lost. Martin, the question begs, what should Christians be doing now to influence the outcomes in their community to maximise the likelihood that freedoms will continue to prevail? As you say, and as we've discussed in previous times, uh, even late last year, it's getting less and less easy to actually be uh, non-partisan when it comes to this because there's becoming a very clear demarcation between which sides uh, will stand for which parts and uh, and, and the, the strength by which they'll defend our freedoms. Uh, what are your thoughts for what Christians ought to be doing to influence outcomes in their communities? Well, look, it is very difficult on the partisanship thing, particularly in the last year. I sat back and thought, well, goodness me, <laughs> uh, where do we go now? Because the, the one side has nailed their colours to the mask so clearly that you start to go, well, uh, is there anything good that's going to come out of this? Um, but in terms of individuals, one of the things that everyone can do, and which I would strongly suggest, is that you can just get on the phone and call your senators, particularly your senators who are neither Liberal nor Labor, so people who are on the crossbench, uh, people who are not Greens, don't worry about calling them, they won't be, uh, they'll be a pearls before swine issue, they'll use your words and, and, and cause all kinds of trouble for you. Don't call them, but call others. Um, call the Liberal Democrats, call the Senate Alliance, call One Nation, whoever it is in your state who represents you. Call each of them and raise this issue of the school freedoms bill uh, that's coming up in February and do it now so that they get a, a range of calls from now through till February when the debate is on just saying how important your Christian school is to you, how important uh, it is that uh, your children receive a Christian education, 
and how this is such a serious election issue for you and you would like them not to support Labor's bill, uh, but to support school freedom. Now, if you do that, that would be really, really helpful uh, because these senators do listen to their constituents. And if they receive a trickle of phone calls from now until February, saying that from actual constituents, that will have a significant impact on the way they think. Now, we're facilitating that at ACL, but we need everybody to to just do that. It's a very simple thing to do. Uh, You'll get through to the office, you'll probably leave a message, and the message will get to the senator, uh, even if it's in with, you know, several dozen others. So I think that's a really important thing to do now, to start telling politicians in this election season that there is concern about religious freedom. And once you've done the crossbench, then go to Labor, then go to Liberal. Uh, But you've only got 12 senators, so it's not that many phone calls. Away you go. Um, The other thing is, I would say, stay tuned in relation to May because there will be some campaigns, not run by Liberal, not run by Labor, but run by third parties like ACL. There will be some campaigns on the religious freedom question, and they'll be launched over the next month, two months. Uh, Things like email petitions, but also right up to the level of putting on a T-shirt and going into the field, which I've done myself, uh, and it's not as daunting as it sounds. But what I would say is find out what you're able to do in your circumstances. I know Christians are often busy people and people who are busy doing good things like raising families. So we don't have, you know, we don't expect everybody to do, to, to put in an, to dial the, um, the effort up to 11. Uh, but see what you can do as those campaigns come out and respond to them. Because people often feel, oh, well, we can't make a difference and so they don't respond. Well, you definitely can't make a difference if you don't respond. <laughs> but politicians are concerned about numbers. They are concerned about constituents. And if they get those responses coming through as those campaigns come to your email inbox or you see them on the ACL website and others, uh, if you do take action, that can make a real difference. So those are the two things I'd say we can do now. uh, And there will, of course, be more and more uh, as we get closer to the election. And, of course, there will be a number of different campaigns, as you say, Martin, uh, that the Australian Christian Lobby will be running, and there'll be other Christian-based organisations, too, running different campaigns, and uh, I'll make that endeavour to give priority to those campaigns when they come up, because I know that there'll be people listening to our conversation now who are saying, I just need to know what I should do, and uh, there might be some good hints that come through this particular uh, opportunity each week when we do an update with you and other political style conversations that listeners will hear on 2020. Uh, Just before I let you go, Martin, and uh, maybe a quick little thought or two about the Gillette, uh, the Razor brand. They had an advertisement uh, that was calling out toxic masculinity. Uh, you've got some thoughts on on there's been a, it's been gone viral and there's been a, a backlash and there's been all sorts of criticisms and there's been all sorts of people saying it's a good thing. What are your thoughts for that uh, Gillette razor commercial? Well, on the surface, it's a tough one because you say, well, is it raising legitimate things? And you know, you might say, well, yes, it is. Uh, but then you might say, but hang on, what's really going on here? And I think that's the issue, and I think that's what took people off offside. You ask the question, is this really trying to make men better? This ad that calls out, you know, that's got the boys in the background saying boys will be boys and all these teams of men doing horrible things to women. Uh, and the ad very clearly makes the suggestion that this is the norm for men. Uh, it doesn't say uh, some men. There's, it basically says most men or nearly all men. Uh, and also it, 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 it creates a bit of a caricature of things. I mean, I've never heard the phrase boys will be boys actually used to uh, justify emotional abuse and things like this. So it's a caricature, and it, 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 puts, it, it lays the blame at the feet of men and masculinity for all of these 
you know, social ills. And so you ask yourself, well, is this an ad that's really trying to make men better? Or is it an ad that's actually pushing a bit of an agenda? Uh, I believe it's pushing a bit of an agenda. It's the same agenda that we saw just in the days previous to the ad where the American Psychological Association came out with a statement saying that traditional masculinity was harmful um, and they even just drilled down into some of what they meant by that, saying, you know, ideas of bravery and valour and this kind of thing can be harmful. And what's going on really in the feminist world in which we live, but particularly in the cultural Marxist world in which we live, is this deeply ingrained idea that all the evil in the world is, is, is there because there's certain people who are powerful uh, and they need to be brought down. And one of the categories of people that are powerful are men. And so they're attacking what men are. They're attacking what men are like. They're attacking some of the good things that men can do. Uh, and they're, they're, they're not contemplating the fact that so much of what we call masculinity can be used for good ends. They're just saying, no, masculinity writ large is bad. That's actually the ideological undertone here. And I think that's why a lot of people would watch this ad and say something isn't right. And they're correct, something isn't right. Uh, and the problem we have is not, uh, the, the solution here is not just to attack masculinity. The solution is, uh, firstly, it's in Christ, but secondly, it is to articulate what is masculinity that is shaped and moulded through good character. What does a man do with the fact that he is ambitious? What does a man do with the fact that he, he may have a dominant streak in him? What does he do with those things that is good? Now, those kinds of men can be fantastic leaders and they can lead for others. And they can be strong. And they can, you know, they can they can fight for good things, not bad things. Uh, and it's all about understanding what is good character, channeling and directing men towards good things. Not just saying, well, hey, you know what? Men are powerful. Therefore, in this cultural Marxist world, power is bad. So men are bad. So masculinity is bad. And let's teach boys from the cradle to the grave that their masculine tendencies are all bad and wrong. I think that we will regret the day we ever started down that trajectory. It won't work. It'll breed a lot of resentment, uh, and it's not the solution. And I would just say this to finish. Wherever identity politics raises its ugly head, there is always discord and division. Never the right way to solve anything. And this is definitely an example of that. I'd say, look, call the men in your life to good character, show them good examples, good fathers, good leaders, and I think that's the better solution. Well, great thoughts, Martin Niles. And uh, when you think a little more deeply about the sorts of things that you are seeing advertised, uh, good to know that there are some insights that can take you just a little below the surface there into what might really being be what what might really be. Uh, being said in those circumstances. Uh, Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, our conversation each Monday will update a political agenda uh, for the week. And let me point people to the website, acl.org.au, the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. That's where you'll be able to be resourced on understanding a lot of the developments that are going on in our nation. Uh, Martin, always appreciate your update, and uh, thanks so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Always a great thing to do, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.